So we're at dinner and it's me, my wife and my two children. And my eight-year-old son says, dad, tell me something. In, in the family, should, should the mother or the wife do everything that the husband or the dad says? And so my wife looks at me <laughs> and says, yeah, dad, does the wife or the mother have to do everything <laughs> that the, the dad says? And so it was interesting. My answer was interesting. I looked at him and I said, yes. I said, but let me explain it. I said, when dad is driving, there's only one steering wheel. There's only one steering wheel. There's not two. So if one person wants to go this way and the other person goes that, there's not two steering wheels. There's only one. And only one person can be steering. So the answer is yes, is that yes, you should do what the dad says, provided that he has a plan and a map to get the family where they need to go. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Carrie Love with me today. Carrie, how are things down in Texas? Awesome. Hot, but awesome. Hot is the word. It's August, and you just got back from an amazing trip, if I'm not mistaken. Where, where are you coming back from? This time I was in Belize. Went down to Belize and spent about eight days up there or down there in South America or Central America and did some diving and I thought it was going to do some R&R, but it was some intense diving. Intense diving. Did you go in the blue hole? I went to the blue hole. That was the first time I went to the blue hole. I went down 144 feet, which is the deepest dive I've ever been on. And it was exhilarating. I really enjoyed it. So it's off the bucket list I've got. And that was one of the items that were on my bucket list is the dive of the blue hole. And it's been completed. Check the box, baby. Check the box. And so Carrie... You're a young fella, man. You got out of the grind. Maybe I shouldn't call it a grind, but you got out of the grind of corporate America when you were 44. Now, that doesn't happen by accident. So I just want to set the stage for the listeners. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm supposed to give you opportunity to let the listeners know how they can get in contact with you. But since I dropped a tidbit that you got out at 44, I'm going to make them listen to the whole thing before they figure out how to get to you. All right. You get out at 44, but you didn't grow up independently wealthy, I don't think. So let's go back. Who is Carrie in high school, college, and how'd you pick your career? And then we'll go on this journey on how you were able to exit early. Wow. Interesting. I went to high school in San Angelo, Texas. So it's considered West Texas. And I played basketball. I enjoyed it. And I had uh, 
a lot of friends, but I had two really good friends and they both knew exactly what they wanted to do. One wanted to be a doctor. His dad was a doctor and the other one wanted to be in the film industry. And when they asked me what I wanted to do, I don't know. So I came up with some things to say I wanted to be a petroleum engineer. I wanted to be an optometrist, dentist, maybe a doctor. Those are the kind of answers that I provided. But in all honesty, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I also struggled about how I was going to pay for college. And I was brought up on the envelope system with my aunts. They had envelopes. And so they didn't really do debt. They didn't really, they paid cash for everything that they wanted. They didn't really believe in debt. So when they bought their houses, they bought it in cash. And so if they wanted a new TV, they put the money in envelopes. And so I brought, I was brought up that way. So when it came to college, I really wasn't sure how I was going to pay. And I knew I didn't want to go into debt to pay. When I looked at it and thought, man, to be a doctor, how much is going to cost me? So that really wasn't an option. So I just started going to school and I saw it as a piece of paper that somebody could not tell me, I can't do this. I can't get this job. I'm not eligible for this because I don't have a piece of paper. And so that's why I went to school because I didn't want anybody to say no to me. I didn't want to give them a reason to say no to me. The first job was in retail and I was in Texas. It was uh, in Austin. And my dream was to go to the University of Texas. I did not make that dream. I went to a community college in Austin. And by the time I was ready to go to UT, they didn't have night classes. And so I was working. So I had to go someplace else. So I transferred to uh, North Lake Community College in the DFW area. Then I went to University of Texas of Arlington. And ironically, I didn't go into debt. So I just kept working and paying as I went. And that's how I went through the college program and paid my way through school. If I had to do it all over again, I realized that there was some good debt and probably that would have been a good opportunity for me to do is take a loan out, get a good education, finishing in four years. I kind of laugh about it now because I, it took me about 10 years to get my degree. And if I had gone to school for 10 years, I could have been a doctor. <laughs> so I think I shared with you is my nickname was Doc Love. I wanted to be a, a doctor. That would have been cool. So I ended up going to school for 10 years to get my degree. And I think missed maybe three semesters. So I would take you know six hours now, nine hours, six hours, 12 hours, or whatever I could fit in. But I always went to school. And I think the times that I did not go to school is because I, we had a baby or we had moved. And so I had to take those semesters off, but it ended up taking me 10 years. My degree is from uh, the University of New York because they collected all my classes from all the different colleges that I went to and they put me into a degree plan and I was able to get my degree that way. Wait. <laughs> that was a long story, but there it is. No, I don't think it's long, <laughs> but for me, what's most interesting is you finished at 44, but you didn't actually have the degree until... Close to 30. Probably like 27, 28. That's correct. So yeah. you're talking about really compressing the window now. So what kind of job were you? Did you change jobs after you got the degree or it didn't matter? No. So I was fortunate when I moved to Dallas, I had to look for another job. I was fortunate to land a job at a Fortune 500 company. And what was ironic is I took a pay cut to go and do that. So from retail to work for this Fortune 500 company, I took a, a, a pay cut. And then I interviewed for, I was there for about two years and I interviewed for, kept interviewing for some sales assignments and nobody wanted to give me the S. And then, so I took a leave of absence, went and got my series sevens license, came back to work and was about to turn in my resignation. And the sales manager came and talked to me and asked me if I would consider interviewing for a job. And I said, yes, when's the interview? 
They said in about two weeks. And I said, can I get you to interview me anytime sooner than that? He, he asked me why. I showed him my resignation letter. And uh, so we went to lunch and I, he asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to get into sales, but I've been trying to get into sales for a year at, at, at the company was Xerox Corporation. And uh, nobody would give me the opportunity. He said, I'll give you the opportunity. He interviewed me, hired me, and I got into sales. And I had a I would say a pretty successful career with Xerox in sales management. I was I earned a lot of accolades and was promoted quite a bit. And I worked for them for about almost 20 years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. So is that the catalyst for you being able to exit early? Your transition into sales? No, I would say it wasn't an enabler. Uh, absolutely. So you know, that retail job that I did while I was right out of high school, what happened was the company was Joskies of Texas and they were sold. Another company bought them. And there was a lot of people that were receiving these checks. And these checks were $20,000, 30000 55000 90000 and a hundred and something thousand. And everybody was getting a check. So I was trying to inquire why, where's my check? And I learned, hey, this is profit sharing. And uh, so then they said, I said, how do I become a part of that? And they told me what profit sharing was. And it was designed for uh, not a profit sharing. I said uh, 401k. Sorry, it was a 401k. And that event got me on the road to start thinking about retirement because supposedly you put the money away, then you save this. And then when you're ready to retire, you have a, a, a bucket of money so that you, you would be able to retire. So I thought about retiring at age 22. And so I was on a uh, mission at that time that I said, hey, I want to be able to retire at the age of 45. That was my goal. And so everything that I did, I looked at it and determined, was this going to be an enabler for me to be able to retire at 45 or have the choice to retire at 45? My sales positions and all the positions that came after that were promotions and it gave me an income, but that income wasn't what gave me the ability to uh, retire. It was the real estate that gave me the investment and gave me the ability to retire. I learned to live within a certain um, amount, which was my salary, not my commissions. And then my uh, commissions I used to start buying some of my properties. And I did not touch any of the money that I received from my properties, any of them, until I was 44 when I retired. I was able to start utilizing that income. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of that. They'll get a, a piece of property and they'll get some cash flow and, and it just kind of rolls part of rolls into their daily income. And for me, I looked at that was strictly for my retirement. And so it went into a different account. I didn't see it. I didn't touch it. When the cash flow started you know, getting better and better, my bonuses that I would get, I would put it over there. And when I had enough to go and buy another property, that's what I did. So that was my story. So that is the catalyst, if you will, that enabled me to retire at 44 versus 45. I was really pumped up about it. And actually, I didn't realize that I had even achieved the number, the goal. I like to tell this story is because I did leave Xerox and I worked for another company and I worked for that company for about four years and I was doing a lot of traveling. And it was one night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I called my wife and I said, honey, baby, I have no idea where I'm at. And she said, you're in Japan. <laughs> I said, okay, that answers the first question. I said, now I've got to remember why I'm in Japan. And she said, I think that you can stop. I don't think that you have to do that anymore. So when I, gave, I got back from that trip, I uh, ran the numbers and sure enough, I didn't have to. I had enough cash flow coming in from my real estate that uh, enabled me to 
retire if that's what I wanted to do. And so I said, here's the ironic part. I said, okay, give me 18 months and I'm going to stop. So another 18 months, I worked another 18 months and then stopped. So on my 44th birthday, it was my last day of employment. Wow. So what was it? Would you have stopped had she not brought up the fact that you probably have the option to stop? I eventually, I probably would have looked at it when I got to 45. I probably would have looked at it as a dual role. I wanted to have real estate as my backup. I, I wanted to, I was in the corporate world. I really enjoyed a lot of it. And until I hit the glass ceiling, I was okay with that. But I think when I hit 45, I would have ran the numbers to determine whether or not it made sense for me to retire. Was I really enjoying what I was doing? Was I getting the quality of life that I uh, wanted? And if the answers were yes, then I may have continued to do that. If the answers were no, then I would have retired because really I wanted the choice to be able to retire at age 45. That truly motivated me. And when I say that, I do recall I worked 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week in the corporate world. And then I was working in real estate at night. I remember being in a hotel in, in New York, we'll call it, and running numbers at you know midnight, you know to one o'clock to see if this deal that somebody called me on was a good deal. Now I, I worked and, and burned the midnight oil. I remember July Fourth Memorial Day weekends. I was had my kids in tow going to look at uh, properties, and so that my long three day weekend didn't really start until that holiday, probably until like six o'clock that evening. And and people would look at me and say, "Why are you doing that? You don't need to do that, or oh, you're wasting your time. That's never going to work." And you know, I looked at it and said hey, this is my plan and I know it will work. And that's why I'm doing this is because it will work. And so it did. So all the naysayers, it's interesting. There was a lot of people that were not on my side. They did not think it was would work. They thought I was going to be a slumlord. It, it just wasn't going to work. I was going to fall on my face. So I stopped telling people that I was doing it. I just did it. And so now it's ironic it's because 20 years later, 30 years later, they look at it and said, gosh, Carrie, I should have done this because there were properties that I found and I would say, I would call somebody or call a few people and say, hey, there's a property that I found. You need to buy it. You need to buy it. And they would say, if it's so good, how come you're not buying it? I said, I am. I'm buying one of them. There's four more properties. I can't buy them all right now. So I'm trying to you know, spread the wealth. And I never was able to convince one person to buy or invest in a property. But now after to, I'll say probably about 42 then there were people that said, oh, gosh, what do you do? Can you help me? <laughs> I should have done this. I should have done this. And so I'm like, yeah, you should have. I tried to get you to do this. Now, I thought I was a good salesperson, but it, when it's family and friends, it's a little bit different. Ironically, I probably have helped uh, more people that are not family and friends get into real estate, family and friends. Ray tells me all the time that my friends and family aren't going to pay me for advice, so I should just give up. I think they look at you and they see all the warts and all that other kind of stuff and, and you know, and says they, they don't know what it took to get to where I'm at. You know, I recall somebody saying, Carrie, you were born with a, a silver spoon. And I, and I look at them and I, and I laugh and I said, you know, you don't know my story. I said, my story, I said, when I was in college, I had a wish sandwich. I don't know how many people know what a wish sandwich is, but I said I, I was eating wish sandwiches. And for me, what a wish sandwich is that I had bread, a piece of lettuce, and some mayonnaise, and I wish there was some meat. So that's what I was doing, putting myself through college. I had wish sandwiches. So, you know, so nobody can tell me that I started from an advantage. The, the answer is no, I didn't start from an advantage. I just had a desire and a path that I saw that was crystal clear. 
And I can tell you, I tried many things that didn't work to try to get on that on that path. You know, I tried multi-level marketing. I did L. Williams. I did Amway. I did some vitamins. And I'm not going to say that those programs didn't work. They it was a little bit more challenging for someone that was uh, in sales and that was in a position for two years and they might be moving. And uh, so it, it was a little bit more challenging for me to do that. But I was always looking for some other way that I could bring in passive income and or, or additional income. And I was motivated and looked at everything that I did. It enabled me to get to where I wanted to go. And the answer was, that's what I focused on. I was dedicated. So when somebody says, oh, I can't, can I feel, I don't have enough time in the day. And I look at it as that, that's the equalizer. Everybody has the same amount of time. It's just what you choose to do with that time. Without a shadow of a doubt. And you had definite of purpose. You knew what your North Star was and you wanted to make progress towards it instead of playing with it, dibbling it, dabbling, chasing a bunch of different rabbits. So who showed up to help you along the way, right? Because- if you grew up in a family with no debt and maybe you bought all your real estate with no debt, but if you grew up in a family with no debt, then real estate isn't really an option. So when I say I, they didn't believe in debt. So when my aunts were buying houses at that time, they were my great aunts. So they were my grandmother's sisters. They couldn't even get loans at that time to buy houses. So what they had to do was collect money. They were buying the houses for $6,000 and $7,000, but that was a lot of money for them back then. So I had no affinity about getting a debt to buy a house. And so I didn't start paying, buying houses in cash probably until, probably until after I retired. So there was a period of time during the crash. I had a couple of deals on the table. I was talking to the mortgage company. Everything was about to close. We were supposed to close in a couple of weeks. And they called me and told me that the mortgage lending rates, the mortgage lending policy has changed and they couldn't help me. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you have too many loans, Carrie. And I think at that time I had 14 or 15 loans and they said they couldn't do these two deals. And after that was on a mission to pay off everything. And so I started paying off everything. And during that period of time, I did buy some things, but most of what I, I did was pay off all my uh, properties. And today I would look at that it was probably a mistake. But it was a mistake that ended up helping me still because I had a, a, a tremendous cash flow once all those properties were paid for. <laughs> Talk about the avalanche or the snowball. You know, yes. During that crash, if I had configured out a way, and I didn't look at it that way, if I could have figured out a, an, an alternative solution to continue to buy properties that, that were discounted at that time. But instead, I stopped looking at properties for the most part, unless there was a really good deal that just came by. I was focused on know, paying off my property. And that's what I did. Had I found another solution and I kept buying at the rate I was buying, I would have a tremendous number of properties today, more properties than I have, you know, right now. But I didn't. I paid off properties and that increased my cash flow. And I still didn't spend that money. So that's how it worked out. I love it. I love it. You know, when you got ready to make the exit, and I, I guess you probably told us this story, but I think there was probably a second piece to this. So there was a day when you actually said, I'm out, whether you told them immediately or not, but you said, I'm absolutely done. And it wasn't actually when you woke up in Japan because you kept going. So I call this the red pill moment. When was the point of no return? So I would say is that I told my wife that in 18 months I was going to stop. So I probably communicated that to the company probably three months before. And I knew I was going to stop. It was taking a toll 
because I was doing so much traveling. And when I say traveling, I was traveling. I was vice president of a worldwide division and I was traveling all over Europe and Asia and the, the U.S. And there was times where I would be landing and falling asleep between calls. I would be in Paris. I remember taking a shower at the airport. Next thing I was on a train going someplace and I was just exhausted. I was extremely exhausted. But the quality of life was not where I, what I wanted. It was fun for a while, but that's not what I wanted to continue. And so I let them know that this is something I'm, I'm going to stop. I, I stopped. I never looked back. I missed, there were some, a lot of things that I missed. I missed some of the good people that I worked with. I, I missed the chase sometimes. I still communicate with a lot of the good people that I had relationships and built relationships over the years. But other than that, I really never looked back. My income continues to increase. So I'm perfectly comfortable with where I'm at, what I'm doing. So as you were traveling around the world and building your real estate portfolio, how'd you manage that? There had to be a few challenges along the way that you had to overcome. Yes, timing and building a team. So I had a, a really great team. And when I say my team, it was some wholesalers, some real estate agents that I worked with, some inspectors that I worked with, and contractors that I worked with. And those were the teams. And the tools that people have today is in, back when I was doing this business, when I was starting this business, you know, we didn't have all the tools that are available today. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have all these other items that you can find out information. I would have been much more productive if I had the tools that people have access to today. When I started, my philosophy was really simple. I looked at it and said, hey, if I can walk away with a positive cash flow of $200 a door, I'm good. That was a simple formula because it allowed me to be able to make a good educated decision based upon the, the numbers. So I was really trying to make sure I had good numbers. And if I, it turned out that I could have a positive cash flow of 200, then I used to pull, pull the trigger. And when I was talking to, to agents or wholesalers, I said, hey, listen, I, I, my goal is to buy 80 cents on the dollar. That's what my goal is. And I need it to cash flow a certain way. And so a lot of people like working with me because I wasn't all over the place. I could really articulate what it is that I wanted. And if it fell in that boat, that was great. So, you know, wholesalers at that time, they weren't worth trying to make $20,000 or $30,000 on a deal. They were making two, $3,000 and they were happy. Instead of just saying, no, I'm not interested. I usually worked it and said, I can buy this property at this price. The numbers work for me at this price. If you can sell it to me at this price, we're good. And so they liked it. Now, you know, sometimes they didn't like what I, I could buy it for, but at least I was giving them feedback then. I didn't you know, string them out. I tried to, I didn't go back because I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I either said, hey, here's my best price that I can pay. If it's going to work, great. If it's not, no big deal. No games, straight to the point. No, because I, I didn't have. And the time was a, uh, a very high commodity for me. Like I said, I was working 70, 80 hours. I was traveling all over the place. Even before I, I was traveling internationally, I was traveling responsibly for all of North America. So I was traveling to Canada and I didn't cover Mexico at that time or I didn't have teams in Mexico. So I just covered the US and Canada, but I was traveling all the way back and forth. It was challenging. And most of the people that I worked with had no idea that I was doing real estate on the side. They didn't because I had you know, already learned my lesson by telling people and here having all the naysayers, you know, about it. But I would also tell you, I was very successful in the corporate world. Um, I had a lot of success and I really enjoyed what I was doing for a long period of time. And I was ready to go. Absolutely. So what was your worst fear in this process? Because you had so much going on and it seems like if there was some gravel in the road, you'd be kind of off on the side. It, like, it seems like it could go bad really quickly. And like, how did you break through that fear? I think rechecking 
my goals and keeping grounded. I don't know if I shared this story with you before. What got me motivated, because I, I bought my first property and then I waited for a couple of years before I bought my second property. And then I waited a couple of years before my third property. And then I was on a red eye. And I don't know how many properties I had at a time, but I was on a red eye and I was uh, going either from LA to New York or New York to LA or, or one of them. And I couldn't sleep. And so I got my my uh, laptop and started fiddling with the numbers. And I said, hey, what if I bought one property um, a year for the next 30 years? What does that look like? Okay, so if I paid off half of them, sold half of them and paid off the um, other half, I'd have 15 properties. And I said, what if the average rent was $1,000? And I said, okay, that's $15,000 coming in a month. So that's pretty good. So I said, if you take out $5,000 of that, and said that was expenses. So now I'm $1,000 a month. I thought, okay, I'm not 1,000, I'm sorry. That would be $10,000 a month. I said, I can live on that. Okay, so that, I said, Carrie, what happens if you do two a year? And instead of doing 30 years, do 15-year notes. What does that look like? And so I knew that this plan would work. It would work. On the numbers, it said it would work. So there was no saying, I can't make it work. So I remember putting out offers and I, I would tell anybody, whether it's multifamily or single family or whatever it is that you're doing, is that you're not going to do anything unless you are in the game. So I remember the one year I gave out 120 offers on properties, 120 offers. And so how many did I buy that year? That year I bought five. So I, I gave 120 offers. So the time and effort that it took me was incredible, but the payoff, I got five properties. But if I'd only did one offer a month, 12, I don't even know if I would have bought a property. So I was dedicated to reaching my goal. And so, yes, did I have some bumps and bruises along the way? Absolutely, yes. But like I said, I would come up and I would do a check mark and say, what am I doing today that's going to be help me move closer to my end result. And my end result was 45. That was it. So the more that I did today, the less I would have to do later on. I make this comment. I, I looked at it and I, me and my dad used to joke and I said, my dad's retirement goal, he said, I want to be the Walmart greeter. That's what he wanted to do. That was his retirement job. And I said, that is not my retirement. I said, I don't want to be the Walmart uh, greeter. I don't want to do that. I want to have choices of what I want to do, places I want to go. So my retirement job was going to go someplace exotic and sell um, timeshares in St. Thomas or some cool place. And then you do, because they only do work in the mornings and then the rest of the day, they do whatever they want to. They go diving, fishing or whatever, golfing or whatever. That was going to be my retirement job. So I could continue to be working productive, but that was it. So then I, when I got to 44, 45, I thought, this is working out great. I don't have to do anything. But of course, I continue to do what I, I do, and I, I enjoy that. What's up, Tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. There's so much color there. I love this story because I pick all the time and I tell people, hey, you got a future in that. When they open the door, like you got a future in that. And it's not 
condescending, but it's just, there's value there. You can greet people. You can impart energy into them in a space, in a place where they may not feel welcome otherwise. So just being able to have something that excites you on a daily basis and that you will do it whether you got paid for it or not, I think is the goal. I think that's when you truly experience freedom and retirement from that standpoint. So no, I, I love the answer and the color that goes with it. I'm going to dig a little deeper here, Carrie. Was there a point when everything was on the line? Was there ever like this rock bottom where you were like, man, I got to swim out of this blue hole? The interesting thing is the answer to that was is yes is because in the midst of my program, my path, I got a divorce. And when, when I got a divorce, I would consider that my worst failure. But when I got a divorce, I lost half my assets, half my plan went away. So what does that look like? And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to, you know, let alone all the other stuff that goes along with that topic. But from my looking at what I needed to do, that I was scared that I was going to be a failure, that I was not going to hit the numbers, that it was not going to work out. And so I, I pulled up my bootstraps and said, okay, new plan, new process, keep going. So that's what I did. I've always been very uh, focused. I've been able to see where I want to go and a path to get there. And that came with some sacrifices. In my career, it was very good. I could say, okay, I wanted to be at this level and what are the steps I need to do? And I would work myself backwards to get to this uh, and see all the steps I needed to do to get to that end result. Or a different way of looking at it is a part of the uh, end of the rainbow, that gold. I would see that. And then what is the easiest, quickest way for me to get there? And that's how I would do it. Now, the problem with that is sometimes you miss the trees, the flowers, and you miss a lot of things along that journey and that path to get to that pot of gold. And uh, I would tell you, did I miss some things? Absolutely, I did. So that was the sacrifice that I had, is that I missed a, some things along the way to get there. But then once I got there, it gave me an opportunity to be able to be a great, I have a lot of flexibility to do other things. You know, I can't tell you which is which. I, I remember uh, having an employee and he said his goal every day was to be home at, you know, 5, 530 and be able to see his kids, coach his kids, spend you know time with his kids and things like that. And I thought he was able to do that. I marked him as successful. He was achieving what he wanted to do. And um, I actually, my dad was gone. They weren't... He, Neither one of my parents were like, I would say, it's just, if I turn around, they were right there. So I was more of an independent person. I moved out before I moved out of my house before I graduated from high school. So I've been a lone person for a very long time. And so the sacrifices that I made, I would say, is, is as it related to, I did miss coaching my kids basketball or football or things like that because I was working and I did. But then there came a time is that I was able to do all of it. I was able to, you know, participate in all their activities and they needed me to be someplace I could be there. They could count on me. Now, as they start having kids, I can be there with their grandkids, spending time. My wife went to go get my grandchild today. We're going to spend the weekend with them. I can do whatever comes up. If we want to go someplace, hey, let's go. So I've got greater flexibility today than I did before. And so that was my journey. And that was my, some of my pitfalls, if you will. Yeah. And I don't know that they're pitfalls, but it's, 
some of the sacrifices we have to make. I think you can drag it out for 40 or 50 years or you can get it done in 25. And everybody's got their choice on how they're going to live and why they're going to live the way that they choose to live. I look at it this way. I agree with that statement, but I also look at it in which I try to educate people and help people. And the thing that I look at it, and I want to make sure that I don't say there's nothing wrong with being the Walmart greeter or anything like that, if you have a plan. But I, I would say you go into Whataburger, you go into some of these places and senior people at, at these places. And most of them, if you sat and asked them, if you asked them, did they think that they were going to be working at 65 at Whataburger, their answer is going to be no. They didn't see that. And so you look at it as a, then why are they there? And there could be a multitude of different reasons, but most of it is that they didn't have a plan. They didn't see that for, they didn't plan it out. And so to me, I just looked at it and said, when my dad told me that, when we joked about it, because that was his plan. His plan was he wanted to be the Walmart greeter. He saw that as that's easy. I can do that. I can do that from, you know, eight to three and, or whatever the numbers were for him. That, but that was his plan. And I looked at that and like, no, I don't want to have to worry about. It. And so I look at people today and say, these young people, I said, you can do whatever it is that you want. But if unless you have a plan, you're letting it's just going to react. It's just not going to happen. You have to have a plan and the time to implement it. Yeah, I remember <laughs> when I used to live in Cumberland, Virginia, I went to get a haircut one morning and I didn't know where the barbershop was and I ended up making a bunch of turns. And when it was all said and done, I was in the hospital because I didn't know where I was going. I didn't have a plan. It was I'm getting a haircut, but I was just wandering around instead of actually having a course charted out on how I was going to actually achieve the goal. So I encourage people to always have a plan because more often than not, you end up somewhere where you don't want to be when don't. Yes, that's true. And my son, I think he was probably eight at the time. So we're at dinner and it's me, my wife and my two children. And my eight-year-old son says, dad, tell me something. In, in the family, should, should the mother or the wife do everything that the husband or the dad says? And so my wife looks at me <laughs> and says, yeah, Dad, does the wife or the mother have to do everything <laughs> that the, the dad says? And so it was interesting. My answer was interesting. I, I looked at him and I said, yes. I said, but let me explain it. I said, when dad is driving, there's only one steering wheel. There's only one steering wheel. There's not two. So if one person wants to go this way and the other person goes that, there's not two steering wheels. There's only one. And only one person can be steering. So the answer is yes, is that yes, you should do what the dad says, provided that he has a plan and a map to get the family where they need to go. <laughs> so that was my answer. And I, I still look at it today. That is the answer, is that you have to have a plan. If you're just going somewhere, just like you said, you can end up at the hospital, you can end up in Tupelo, Mississippi, you can any place. But everybody needs a plan. thousand percent. And the people who want to go on that journey will follow that person. The people who don't, won't. And both things are okay. And the other thing is that there's multiple ways of getting there. Multiple ways. Some might take a little longer. Some might be a 40-year journey. Some of them might be a 25. Some of them may be a five-year journey. So there's multiple paths. Lots of people said my way is wrong. A lot of people say, is, oh, you should only do 
multifamily. You should only do syndication. You should only do passive. You should only do active. When I look at it, no, when anybody's telling you that, you know, that's wrong. They'll say, oh, I've got to have 500 doors or I've got to, my goal is to have a thousand. If that's what you want, cool, but you don't have to do that. You know, because when somebody says you have to have a thousand doors, no, you don't. You don't. You've got to come up with a plan that works for you. What's your end result and work backwards? That's the way I look at it. So, you know, what do you do from a health perspective? We run down the red pill. I don't always bring it up. You know, we're in level four now of the red pill. And so what have you done to, to stay in great physical condition and even mental condition? Hi, my grandson just came up here. Hold on a second. So I bought a Peloton bike probably about four or five years ago. So I do my Peloton bike probably four out of seven days a week. I probably walk on a daily basis. I probably walk with my wife probably about three to four miles a day. And then I'm an avid swimmer. So we have a swimming pool. And so I like to swim. Now, I don't swim as much as I, I would like, but I do go up there and I swim laps and then I play. I try to watch what I eat. So I cut out a lot of red meat. My wife loves red meat, so I just eat red meat when she wants to eat the red meat. <laughs> but other than that, I eat lots of fish and chicken and, and, and green. My regimen is that I try to get up, I try to meditate, try to think about some stuff, try to make sure I can calm down. Probably the last 90 days, I've come up with a, a stretching program. Peloton has all these tools, and so they have a stretching program. So I'll go out now, when I get up, I do some walking, come back and I stretch for 25 minutes. And that has helped me tremendously. That's what I do to try to stay healthy. That's comprehensive, man. I think you're getting all the hitting all the buttons. The only thing that I could think of that I didn't hear might be some journaling or something like that. But that's really good. The what when you get up and you meditate, where'd that habit come from, and what's maybe the biggest value you see in doing that? So I, I got it from my brother, uh, my younger brother. He is he's a very inspirational. He's a vegetarian, but he got me to cut out pork years ago, so I don't eat pork. But I believe that what I get out of it is to be able, the ability to be able to focus, co clear all the clutter out, all the negativity out, and be able to start my day off uh, great. I have a firm belief is that I don't let anything or anybody impact my day. So yes, there's some red roadblocks that come up, and yes, I might you know get uh, frustrated. But I control everything. If somebody has a problem, you know, if I can deal with it in a few minutes, I will. If it's not, if it's my problem, then it's my problem, I'll own it. If it's not my problem, then I'll say, hey, I'll check out you later when you got you, you can you know, resolve your stuff <laughs> and go on. If they want a problem solved, that's fine. You got to figure out the people that want to vent and want you to vent with them and rise it. I don't want to do that. That gets my blood pressure worked up and that gets a lot of other stuff. To me, I just want to relax. I just want to enjoy stuff. So for me, the meditation gets me started off on the right moment. I Sometimes I stay in bed and sometimes I get up and uh, go to the other room. At times I'll read the Bible. I read a couple of verses from the Bible. That's really cool because now I have it on my iPad that I can look at it and nobody even knows what I'm doing. You know, so. Love it. Love it. Love it. So. You've got this really cool program. And so we'll skip over five because we figured out the prosperity stuff early on and we'll go to six, which is significance. And you've got this really cool program where I'll let you talk about how you help people get into the real estate space. And you're really close to your goal for this year. So why don't you tell them a little bit about that? 
when I guess other people define me as successful in real estate, because I probably would define myself successful very differently than they did. But whenever they thought that I was successful, people started asking me for help or questions and stuff like that. So slowly I started telling people about an alternative way of being able to achieve their dreams, their goals, extra uh, cash flow and things of that nature. The last three years, I've been on a path to try to help at least five people a year purchase their first home. And that could be either a home that they actually live in or a home that is going to be for an investment. And so last year I was successful. I I helped five people. This year, I think I mentioned to you that I've already helped three, but the fourth person should be closing on their house, I believe, next month. So I'll have four and it'll be their first investment property. And I've worked with people and I can tell you that there's people that have now have 14 properties that they purchased. Some of them have purchased some multifamily properties, some of my partner with. And it's some people I've helped clean up their credit, help them understand credit so that they can do some things. So I'll tell you the story about this lady, young lady, and she didn't understand the implications of her credit. So the first thing that we did is cleaned up her credit. And so she was so excited that she saw her credit go from four something to five something to six something to seven. And so this was a two year process, but I'm happy to say this year she bought a home and she bought a very nice home. She bought a home. I think her credit score got up to 710 or 720. And so her family of five now, her husband and her three kids all moved into their very first home. And she would give me credit that says, first, Carrie, you helped me clean up my credit. You helped me look at it, things different. I remember <laughs> she would come and she would say, Carrie, my, I'm getting an interest rate on my car loan of 16%. Do you think that's good? And I, I, had, I didn't have a heart, but I, I had to tell her, do you know what your credit report says? And so when we pulled that, she didn't understand it. And a lot of people are like that. They just didn't. You know, after next month, I'll have helped four people this year. And I'm working with probably about three or four other people right now. And so hopefully one of them will be able to close on something before the the end of the year. And uh, that's how I give back. It makes me feel good about it. And the reward I get is the satisfaction. The reward I get is that people look at it and says, Carrie, you know what? I've always wanted to do this, but I didn't know how. I didn't know where to start. I always thought I had to do this, or I thought I had to go and pay somebody $20,000 to get into this. And no. I just look at it like, no, there's lots of ways you can do stuff. That's my story. That's beautiful. Debating which question to ask you because it's going to be the second to last question. And I'm going to go with, what are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for my aunts. I know they're no longer alive today, but I would tell you is that they gave me a foundation about money and the importance of money and gave me my views on saving. And that helped me. And the other person I'm most grateful for, the other thing I'm most grateful for is actually my wife because she actually got me out of the mode of saving. Now, don't get me wrong. I am still a saver. Basically, I'm still a saver, but I was saving, saving, and I really wasn't uh, enjoying it, spending or whatever. And so she got me to start spending some money. And so now we have a, I have a balanced life. I still save and I still spend uh, and I spend and I enjoy a quality of life that I really enjoy. You know, I, I make this comment that I didn't really have a nice pair of shoes. I had good shoes, but they weren't really a nice pair of shoes until I hit 45. I didn't have a nice car. I had acceptable cars. And they were good cars, but I didn't have a really nice car until I hit 45. 
I'm a car guy, Carrie. Hold on. I'm a car guy. You know, and this is no pun, but I see a lot of people that have really nice cars and they don't have a place to park it. And live, I see where they're living. And having nice cars is great, but they are a depreciating asset. They're going to depreciate unless you have a classic car. So all the other cars are going to depreciate. So when you get to a, a certain plateau or a certain level, then I can see somebody investing in some cars. But before then, it's just a it's just a vehicle gets you from A to B. Yes. Does it feel good? Does it make you look good? All that kind of yeah, 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 yeah. But all that stuff is superficial. If it's important to you, great. So at 45. I bought a really nice car because <laughs> I knew I liked cars, but I looked at it and said, those weren't going to help me achieve my goals. But once I achieved my goals, then I could do that. You no, know, I enjoy travel. And in 2020, I didn't do pretty much traveling. I think I did one trip before the uh, COVID stuff. And then uh, this year we've done three trips. We just did on the police, but my schedule is booked. I'm going on a trip every month this year, except for de- December. I haven't had anything planned for December and I've got two or three vacations already scheduled for 2022. And so that's the quality of life that I dreamed of when I was 22, 23, and 24. And that's what I was working for. And so to me, I like living the dream, living the life. That's what it is. And it's what works for me. Love it. So I guess I lied. This is the second to last question. (laughs) How can folks get into contact with you? The easiest way for people to reach me is probably through LinkedIn my LinkedIn page. So that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. Carrie Love, Dallas-Fort Worth area? Yes. I live in Granbury, Texas. It's 30 miles southwest of Fort Worth, so in the DFW area. We'll have it linked up in the show notes. And the final question, Carrie, is what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Everybody has the same amount of time, 24 hours in the day. And it's how you choose to to spend that time. What are you going to do with that time? And so what are you going to do today so that you're going to help you on your path tomorrow to achieve your goals? If you're telling me today that you want to be financially free at age 50, great. So then we talk again in a year. What have you done to help you along that path? It's great to keep dreaming. I'm all for dreaming, but actions are the things that get you there. So you have the same 24 hours that everybody else does. Write down your goal, have a plan, and execute. If it doesn't work, readjust. If you come along some bumps and bruises, they're just bumps and bruises. And time has a way of healing all mistakes. You heard it from the man himself, Carrie Love. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Go make your plan, execute against that plan, pivot as you need to, but don't ever give up on the dream. Your dream should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.